Good morning, everybody, and uh, welcome to our service online. I'm glad that you're here with us. I hope that you're comfortable uh, and that you're ready to hear from God this morning as we look into his word. We're going to be looking at 1 Peter, uh, one of the letters in the New Testament. Uh, If you are joining us for the first time online and uh, you've never been with us in person at a worship service, this is great. This is convenient. It's portable. You can take it with you on your phone. But uh, this is nothing compared to uh, what it's like to be together worshiping the Lord Jesus in person. So I'm hopeful that we'll be able to do that again soon. I don't know when that's going to be, but I'm looking forward to that day. And I just want to invite everybody to join us whenever that day comes. Uh, Today we're going to be looking at, like I said, 1 Peter. We're in the middle of a series called Lives and Letters, where we're looking at some of the letters written to the New Testament churches. Uh, These are churches that were going through a major, major crisis. Uh, The Christians in the Roman Empire were being persecuted. They were losing their homes. They were losing their jobs. They were on the run. They couldn't meet together in churches. Uh, Many of them felt like their lives were upside down, like the bottom had fallen out. And many of them were being killed. They were being persecuted. In fact, the writer of this letter we're looking at today is Peter. Peter was an apostle. He was one of Jesus' closest disciples. And uh, he was arrested by the emperor of the Roman Empire named Nero uh, because Nero started a fire and it burned down Rome and he blamed the Christians. And so Peter's writing this letter from prison with the help of one of his assistants named Silas. Now, the letter is being written to Christians that are scattered all around the Roman Empire. And like I said, they were going through major suffering, major, major persecution. And uh, you can imagine some of the questions that they were probably asking. They're probably questions that you have been asking as we've all been going through this coronavirus crisis. Some of the questions I was thinking they may be asking were, why is God letting this happen to me? When is this going to end? Are things going to go back to normal afterwards? You know, what's going to happen to my kids? What's going to happen to my, to my parents? Am I going to survive this? These are, these are real scary times for our brothers and sisters in Christ who this letter was written for. But they also mirror our times in a lot of ways. And so I'm, I'm hopeful that today uh, you will be encouraged in your faith, that uh, you'll, you'll actually leave this time with a sense of, of hope in, in a living hope that can't be taken away and given some very practical uh, instruction for how you can honor Christ through this crisis. So we're going to start at the end of the letter. That may seem a little bit backwards, but I want to actually work from the end of the letter forward because the end of the letter that Peter writes to these churches, it's, it's one of the parts that has really encouraged me in the last couple of weeks. I don't know about you, but I have just been feeling uh, really stressed. I felt more exhausted. My shoulders are tight. My sleep's not so great. Because everything has changed. My routines are all messed up and I'm getting all this information. Honestly, a lot of the stress that I'm feeling, it's coming through my phone. And uh, if you have a phone, this thing is just full of bad news. And human beings were made for good news. We need good news. And, you know, if we don't schedule times, uh, we're not looking at our phones, it can just stress us out. And so at the end of the letter, in the fifth chapter, Peter talks about stress and how it is that we, we can carry it. And you may be feeling Uh, a lot of stress. In fact, you may have been feeling like this. I can't carry all these cares. I just, I can't, I can't take another phone call. I can't take another text. I can't read another article. You know, even at your house, you may feel cooped up and there's pressure and people are stepping on each other's toes and there's offenses. It just doesn't feel like you can carry all the cares that you're carrying. Well, there's good news. You don't have to carry these cares. God wants you to give him your cares because he's strong enough to carry them, and to help you through it. And so in chapter 5 of 1 Peter, Peter writes this to the churches and to us. He says, Humble yourselves, 
Therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Now, the first thing it says is humble yourself. There are no strong guys. There's no tough guys in the kingdom of God. In our culture, we we're taught to be tough, to be strong, to bear things on our own two shoulders. When I was younger, when I was in high school, I had a friend and he was raised by his grandparents. And we were talking about God one day. I wasn't a Christian at the time. And they were telling me that believing in God is a crutch, that if you believe in God, that it's because you don't have the strength and the fortitude to kind of carry your responsibilities yourselves. Well, that's that's not true. We're not built to carry our cares alone. God wants us to come and bring our cares to him so he can help us. That's why it says that he has the ability to lift you up with his mighty hand. God is strong and he wants to help you. And there are a lot of cares that we're carrying. Some of you are wondering whether or not you're going to have a job. Maybe some of you are at a job, but you're working 12, 13, 14 hour days because you're essential services or your first responders and you're feeling exhausted. That's creating anxiety. That's creating tension. Some of you, maybe some things in your work have not changed much, but you're home with your family and that's creating a lot of conflict. What do you do with all these kids? I mean, it can drive you nuts and that creates stress. There's a lot of bitterness and resentment beginning to build in our culture towards our leaders, towards other people. And that creates cares. That creates stresses. There's all sorts of unknown things and questions we can't answer that builds pressure inside of us. And so we have to cast those cares on God. We have to bring them to God. And that's an act of humility. Now, Peter says cast. And Peter is a fisherman. I'm a fisherman, but I use a, a rod and a reel. Peter, he fished with nets. And he was very familiar with taking a net and just throwing it out over the water, collecting large you know, quantities of fish, and then pulling it onto a boat and pulling it onto the sand. And so Peter knows what it's like to cast a net out. And this is the picture he's giving us for how to deal with our anxiety. He's saying that we need to cast the net around the things that are stressing us out, and then we need to throw that net full of cares down before the Lord and begin to deal with them one at a time with God. When we do that, God begins to relieve the pressure that we're feeling because God has the resources, he has the wisdom, he has the help that we need. But that means that we have to start to form new habits. If you don't do this, if you don't learn to cast your cares on God, then what ends up happening is your soul starts to get shredded. It starts to exhaust you. Physically, you become sick. Emotionally, you become spent. Relationally, you're on edge and there's conflict in your home, conflict at work, conflict with people around you at the grocery store. That's happening all over this country. And spiritually, it begins to sap us. And so we really have to turn to God because we have an enemy. And that's why right after this passage, Peter says this. He says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Our enemy is roaring at us. He's trying to scare us, stress us out by pumping information and ideas and emotions into our minds, into our hearts to devour us, to suck up our energy, our attention, our time. If you allow these anxieties to just build inside of you, they will devour you. And God wants us to resist. He wants us to fight back. He wants us to cast our anxieties on him. Now, there's a lot of different ways that you can deal with stress and anxiety. But if you watch television, you're never going to see an example of people casting their anxieties on God. Our heroes in Marvel, our heroes on TV, they don't turn to God in their deepest, darkest moments and lay before him the things that are stressing them out. That's not the way they do it on TV. 
And so there's a lot of different ways that you can deal with anxiety. How do you take care of your cares? How have you been taking care of your cares? There's different options. For example, you can deny your cares. You can say, you know what? It's not a big deal. I'm fine. There's nothing wrong. It's not that big a deal. Everybody's overreacting. And I've seen that a lot online. I've seen people on social media saying, what are you guys all stressed out about? It's not that big of a deal. This is a very, uh, a very typical response. But the problem with that is it makes you harsh, makes you cold, makes you impatient with people, unwilling to hear what they have to say. It can really ruin relationships. You can deny it, but that's not really a way of dealing with cares. You can also stuff your cares. You can push them down inside, not talk about them, because to just bring up all the things that you're losing, all the things that are going wrong, all the things that are, that are changing in this world right now, in your life, it's just, it would make you cry, it would make you weep, it would make you get angry, and you, just, you don't want to talk about it, you don't want to deal with it, you're just going to stuff it down inside, and all that's going to do is make you sick. All that's going to do is devour your soul. You can also cast your cares on others. You can dump whatever you're thinking, whatever you're feeling. If you're angry, if you're frustrated, if you're feeling resentment, if you're afraid, if you're worried, if you don't know what's going to happen, you can dump it on people. And that's not healthy either. You know, our, our families, our kids, the people we lead in our lives, it's not appropriate for us to dump all of our cares on them. Now, I'm not saying you can't talk to your spouse or you can't talk to your friends at the appropriate time, you know, in the appropriate way. But I'm talking about you're looking for other people around you to help you deal and process your cares and anxieties. What we have to do is we have to cast our cares on the Lord. We have to go to him, like Peter says, throw the net around our ideas, our stress, the things that are on our minds, and throw them down before God. So how do you do that? That's a great question. We have to form new habits. All of us are going to have to form new habits today. All of us are going to have to figure out a way to deal with the stress and the pressure we're feeling. And I want to encourage you to do something that maybe you haven't done. Maybe you haven't made it a habit. I want to encourage you to spend daily time with God. I want you to take out your phone and set up a calendar reminder or set an alarm and decide a time today that you're going to set aside to just go and spend some time with God. It could be 10 minutes. It could be 20 minutes. It could be 30 minutes. Whatever. Go for a walk. Go in your car. Go in your room. Tell your kids that, that mommy and daddy are going to be busy for a while, but you've got to spend time praying and bringing your anxieties before God. This is a habit that every Christian in the Bible had developed. This is the pattern in Scripture. Jesus spent time alone with the Father. Peter learned it from Jesus. The people in the Old Testament did it. Young people, old people, rich people, poor people. Everybody developed a habit of regularly taking our anxieties and cares before God. And I want to encourage you to do the same thing. Otherwise, it's going to devour you. Now, Peter has a lot to say about some of the, the, the things going on in our life right now. And one of the, the things that you may be dealing with, and we're all kind of dealing with, is how do you deal with this trial, with this crisis? And maybe, maybe not. Maybe you feel like, you know what, this isn't that big of a deal. It's, 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 it's all overblown. Or maybe I have a job or things haven't really changed that much for my life. But you will. We're all going to face trials. When you read the Bible, one of the common themes is that suffering, pain, hardship, trials, that's a normal part of life. The Bible says over and over again this. It says, don't be surprised when trouble strikes. Trouble is just a constant theme in the lives of human beings in this world. This world is cursed. Things are dying. They're decaying. They're falling apart. They're breaking. There's war. There's difficulty. Right? That's the reality of our life. And so Peter, again and again in this letter, tells these people who are going through incredible suffering, trials are normal, trials are to be expected. 
But he also talks about what trials do. So I'd like to look at this verse. It says, Beloved, do not be surprised. Don't be surprised at the fiery trials when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. Trials are like a fire. They break out. They burn down things that we love, things we've invested in. We get sick. We lose a job. Our 401ks are going down. Our home value is declining. People, uh, they leave. There's divorce. There's death. Trials are normal parts of life. And the trial, it's a fire. And what fire does is it begins to destroy and tear down, but it also reveals. It's a test. That's why he says these trials test you. Tests like you get at the doctor. When you go to the doctor and you, you do some you know, lab work, what they're doing is the test is telling you something about what's inside of you, something you can't see with your eyes. And that's what trials reveal. Trials reveal what's going on inside of us. And one of the things that's coming out all across the world as we all go through this crisis is we're learning what we really hope in, what we look forward to in this life, and really what our attitudes are. And one of the most important things to God is our attitude and our hope, where we place our hope. Now, when it comes to our attitude, that's one of the ways that we can honor Christ. And one of the questions we all have to be asking ourselves right now is, how do I honor Christ in the crisis? As I deal with my anxiety, as I deal with my stress, and God helps me to stay buoyant and joyful and to have confidence and to process these emotions, how do I live my life in a way that honors Christ? And one of the ways you do that, one of the most important ways you do that, is the attitude that you take towards authority. Your attitude towards authority is really, really important to God. It's very important to God. And right now, there's all sorts of attitudes towards authority. And it's, you know, it's understandable. Look, people in authority, they can make decisions that affect our lives, right? Your boss can choose to cut your hours or even to let you go. Or your boss can ask you to work way more than you ever have before. Uh, Government officials are making decisions. They're shutting down the economy. They're telling us to stay in our homes. That's creating pressure in our lives. The decisions that our leaders are making are impacting us. And so that creates inside of us all sorts of frustrations, questions. And the attitude that we adopt towards authority is extremely important to God. And that's why running through this letter in 1 Peter, again and again, Peter is talking to these Christians. And don't forget, they're going through incredible suffering. They're being persecuted by the Romans. And throughout the whole letter, Peter's talking about their attitude towards authority and how they need to respond and relate to authority. And he wants to talk to us about it as well, because we want to honor Christ. When this story is over with, we want it to be a story that we're not afraid to tell. There are a lot of people watching us. Our kids are watching our example. Our coworkers are watching our example. Our neighbors are watching our example. And the way we speak and the way we act towards the authorities in our lives are going to go a long way in honoring Christ or disgracing him. So here's what Peter says about authority. It's, it's really great. He says, be subject for the Lord's sake, for Jesus, for in his interest, so that he is glorified. Because it's what he would want. Because it honors him. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Whether it be the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. That's kind of hard to swallow. That's difficult to accept. I don't know about you, but 
it's very easy for me to complain and to second guess and to get frustrated with the authorities in my life. Because like I said, the authorities in our lives, they can make decisions that can have a big impact. They can make things horrible for us. They can make decisions that can kill our business, that can keep us home. They can make decisions that could lead to us being sick. And there's all kinds of authorities. Don't forget, the emperor that Peter's talking about, that's Nero. That's the guy who's rounding up Christians, crushing their churches, who's crucifying them. And yet Peter's saying, be subject to them. Now, when it comes to authority, you can have a couple different approaches. The first is you can choose to judge and complain and kind of drag your feet so that you don't really put your full weight behind what your leader is telling you to do. Look, God has given the leaders that he has established. He has given them responsibility and authority over different areas of life. It's their job to make plans and set priorities. And it's our job, those of us who are following, to put our best effort behind what they're doing. Not to follow them off in a way that violates God's word or to do something evil, but most of what our government is telling us to do, most of what our business leaders are telling us to do, most of what our teachers are telling us to do, what our parents are telling us to do, these things, they're, they're well within the biblical strike zone. They're not out of bounds. They may be inconvenient. They may not make sense. You may not agree with them. But they're not out, out of bounds biblically. And what God wants us to do is to be subject for the Lord's sake. Now, if you drag your feet, if you complain, if you judge, what you're going to do is you're going to bring a bad reputation on Christ, but you're also going to bring discipline from Christ. If you belong to Jesus Christ, if he is your Lord and Savior, then he is not going to stand by while you rebel against authority. And I've been seeing this all online. I mean, if you want to see a great example of people who complain and judge, just watch the news. The news is just 24-7 complaining, second-guessing, speculation, judgment. And that's not for us to do. It's not my job to judge my leaders. It's my leader's leader's job to judge my leaders. And so as a Christian, I can judge and complain. I can rebel. I can choose to just flat out refuse to do what people are saying. I'm going to do my own thing, my own way. And so if I do that, again, it's just going to cause problems for me and bring dishonor to Christ. What I need to do is submit myself, subject myself to leaders. If they're telling me to stay home, I need to stay home. Wash my hands. If my bosses are telling me we're going to make these changes at work, then i got to do my best to make the best of the changes that they've, they've ordered. If you do that, you're going to honor Christ. If you do that, God is going to bless and he's going to help you. Now, I know we live in a republic. I know we get to vote, but not yet. The way that our constitutional republic works is that we don't, we don't vote every day. We're not a democracy that can just change their minds every single day and any time call, call a vote. We're a republic. And what that means is every two years on one day, the American people act. They cast their ballot and they vote. And then we live with our decision for two, four, and six years. The leaders in charge are going to stand before us and give an account of whether or not they overreacted or underreacted, whether or not they should have shut down the economy or opened the economy. All the questions that we have of whether or not this was the right response to this COVID crisis, those questions can't be answered right now and they don't need to be answered right now. It's not time for accounting. It's not time for judgment. That comes on election day. So I just want to encourage you, instead of judging, set a reminder on your phone. Do another calendar item. Put a, put a, a calendar reminder on your phone in August. You know, maybe this will be blown over by August. And, and in August, you can start looking over all of the, the postmortems and all the write-ups and all the facts and see 
whether or not the leaders have made the right choices. But in the meantime, support them, pray for them, encourage them, and put your whole weight behind the policies and plans that they're making. This is how we honor Christ through the crisis. Now, in case you need something shorter than this passage to remember, Peter gives us this tweetable line. Here it is. He says, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Again, that's Nero. If Peter can tell the Christians that were suffering persecution in the first century to honor Nero, we certainly can honor the leaders that God has placed in our lives. So if you're a child, obey your parents. Make it a joy for them to lead. Don't complain. Don't drag your feet. Do what your parents say. Be obedient children. This pleases the Lord Jesus. If you're a wife, honor your husband. Cooperate with him. Help him make his plans for the family a reality. If you work for an employer, be the best worker you can be. Be the best citizen you can be. Don't judge. Don't complain. Pray for, support, and encourage those who are leading. This is how we honor Christ through the crisis. Now, as we wrap up, one of the things that I said earlier is that trials... They reveal our hearts. Trials have a way of kind of ripping us open and showing us what we're really finding security in, what we're really finding hope in. And today, we're losing a lot of things. The stock market, it plunged over 10,000 points in the last week. Many people have lost their jobs. Many people are looking at their home values and they're getting nervous. Some people have gotten sick. Being home in your houses has caused tension and stress that you have to deal with. You didn't have to deal with it necessarily three weeks ago. And as we look at our lives, one of the questions we're we're asking is what's going to happen after this crisis? What's going to be left? And the reason why we're asking that question is because people like us, we run on hope. Human beings run on hope like a 747 runs on jet fuel. We look forward to the future. And our hope for the future is one of the things that gets us out of bed in the morning. It's one of the things that causes us to endure the hard things we endure. Like an athlete that goes to practice and puts their body through incredible pain. Why do they do that? Because they're hoping for victory. They're hoping for the crown. And we're just like that. Human beings run on hope. And what's happening in the middle of this coronavirus crisis is that many of the things that we put our confidence in, our hope in, things we look forward to, things that we've invested ourselves in, they're crumbling. They're fading. They're being destroyed. They're being lost. They're being changed irreparably. And we're starting to ask ourselves, what's what's going to come after? And what God wants to do is he wants you to take a good, hard look at what it is you're hoping in and what it is we can hope for. What should we hope for? What is it that God's promising us? Because this whole world, it's dying. It's decaying. And here's the thing. If you have a hope, That's in this world. And your hope in this world is in relationships. Your hope is in your career. Your hope is in your health. Your hope is in something in this world. Then you have a dying hope because this world is dying. I mean, if you want to see proof of this, look at a photo of my wife and I when we got married and look at a photo of us now. We're dying. We're fading. I mean, I'm not trying to be morbid, but it's true. Everything is falling apart. Everything is decaying. Nothing truly lasts. And so if your hope cannot endure suffering and death, then your hope can't sustain you. You become depressed. You become hopeless. You give up. You become pessimistic and jaded. And that's where a lot of people are right now. But God wants to give you a living hope, a hope that cannot fade, 
a hope that is stronger than even death and suffering. And that's why Peter starts his letter with this next passage. And I want to end where Peter starts, because what Peter does is he lays before these people who are suffering and facing death the thing that they can truly hope in. And I think God wants me and you to reset our hope on something that is sure. He doesn't want this crisis to go to waste. He wants to expose what our hearts are hoping in and make sure that our hearts are hoping in the right things so that the next trial and the next trial. Because look, there are going to be more trials in our lives. We're going to lose some things that are precious to us. We are likely going to face hard things in the future, maybe harder things than we're facing right now. And when that day comes, how will you get through it if your hope is in this world and your hope is in something that can be taken away? So here's what Peter says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, he goes on to say, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. And then he says, who by God's power, that's you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And so what does that get us? Well, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have, you have to be grieved by various trials. This passage, it speaks about the hope that we have. And so I'd like us to look at it a little bit slower. Let's look at the first verse. Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. What's he talking about? He's talking about our living hope, who is Jesus. Jesus was raised from the dead. He defeated death. Christ was, was crucified. He was, he was killed for our sins. He was buried, and three days later, he rose from the dead. He is alive. He is well. He showed himself to his 12 disciples. He showed himself to over 500 witnesses who saw him, who ate with him, who cried and hugged him. Jesus is alive, and he is the one we put our hope in, and he gives us his eternal life. And that means you will not die. Your body may die, it may fade away, like everything else in this world, but you will live on with the Lord. That's our hope, that even though we lose our homes, we live on. Even though we may lose our jobs, we live on. We may lose loved ones, we may lose relationships, we could lose our own physical existence, but we live on. And you may be thinking, well, what good is it to, to live without a body? What, what, what good is it to live without a physical existence? But he goes on and he says, if you focus on Christ instead of the crisis, if you focus on what you've gained in Christ instead of what you're losing in the crisis, there's more promise for you. And he says this, he says, to an inheritance, there's an inheritance coming to us that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and kept in heaven for you. What's he talking about? Well, if you read in the New Testament, for example, the last three books of Revelation or the letter here at Peter or, or 1 Corinthians 15, what you find is that God, he intends to create a new world, a perfect world that is free from death and decay, sin and destruction. This is where we will live with him and with one another forever. 
He will give us new bodies. He will raise us up and give us new bodies that last forever. No sickness, no disease, no crippledness of the body or the mind. We will live with our God on a good earth forever. This is the inheritance that's being kept for us in heaven. It can't be perished. It can't be faded. It can't be defiled. It is being secured because it's not a part of this dying order. But on the day that Christ returns, he will raise from this dying world a new world that we will live with with him on it forever. And so he goes on to say this, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. When Jesus Christ returns on the day that he returns, he will bring about this new thing. And that is where you and I will live with him forever. Heaven and earth brought together as God always intended. You and I living with and for our God on a good earth that is free from all the things that can be shaken, that can be taken. That's our living hope. That's what we look forward to. And that's what allows us to endure. And that's why Peter finishes by saying this. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. We are going to go through grief. It really does hurt to lose things in this world. They're good things. They're gifts that God gives, and sometimes they're taken away. But there is a day coming where all the good and all the things that we hope for will be ours. And that's what we look forward to. That's what helps us to have joy through the trial. That's what God wants us to set our hearts on. And so as Peter wraps up his letter in the final chapter, in the final paragraph, here's what he says. After you have suffered a little while, after you go through this coronavirus crisis, after you go through the future trials that you're going to feel in your life, our God, who is full of kindness through Christ, he loves you and he wants to help you. He will give you his eternal glory. That's what he's talking about. This new life, this new creation, that's this glorious inheritance that we're going to have. He personally will come and pick you up. He will set you firmly in place and make you stronger than ever. This is who our God is. This is his promise to you. And maybe you're not worried about this particular crisis, but there's going to be a trial that comes that's going to be more than you can bear. And this is the God who's going to be with you. And he's going to make you stronger than ever as you set your hope on the good things to come. I'd like us to finish by declaring this out loud together. So wherever you are, wherever you're watching this from, I'd like you just to to wrap up this, this time of teaching by reading this out loud as a declaration of our faith that Jesus Christ is going to take care of us. Let's go ahead and read it. After you have suffered a little while, our God, who is full of kindness through Christ, will give you his eternal glory. He personally will come and pick you up and set you firmly in place and make you stronger than ever. Amen. This is our hope. This is what we look forward to. And I hope that you are encouraged by this today. I hope you've learned that you can cast your cares on God, that you can honor Christ through the crisis by supporting and praying for and cooperating with leaders, and that you have something that you can hope in that can never spoil or fade, that can never die, a living hope in Christ and the creation to come. As we wrap up in prayer, I'd like us to take a second just think about all the people out there who are working hard, first responders, people who are making all of these efforts to protect us and, and to make our society go. I'd like us to pray for them and ask God to help them. Would you join me in prayer? Father, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ, and I ask in your name that you would help us cast our cares on you, that you would join us today as we meet you in a time of prayer. 
I pray that you would slow the spread of coronavirus so that it doesn't kill anybody else. I pray that you would protect us as individuals, our children, our seniors, and all of those with illnesses. I pray for endurance for all of those who are already sick and for the help that they need and the healing that they need. I pray that you give energy to our medical doctors, our nurses, our first responders, and that you would focus our minds and our hearts on the hope that we have. I hope this has encouraged you. I hope you have a great week. And I want to encourage you to read First Peter. Don't forget, make some time today to pray and cast your cares before the Lord. And I hope to see you guys next week.